getting to be able to go to Houston Astrodome as a junior, yeah, that was super cool. But a rude awakening to the to the holy shit, these experts go fast. Terry Poovey and Ronnie Jones, all the guys, you know, that was an eye opener to go, holy shit, these guys are a way big step above any of the junior classes. <laughs> Episode 43, Tank Slap Podcast. Christmas week, we're getting in a pod. Got the boys on here, Sammy, Carter. Sammy, what's good, man? How are you doing? <laughs> I'm, do- uh, I'm doing pretty good. Uh, sorry, I'm cracking up at a little, uh, I don't know what he's, pre-show uh, shenanigans that, that were happening. But uh, no, I'm doing really good, man, all things considered. You know, uh, I'm just really looking forward to... Uh, getting down to the winter throwdown uh i know i've said it before if you guys follow my you know my instagram you guys know i'm always uh trying to sneak around and get in places that uh i don't belong so i can get a cool shot or a cool clip or something but uh cory's giving me free reign to go wherever uh i please to go down at the winter throwdown so i'm pretty excited because i'm always like man if i could only get over here to this part of the track i get a sweet shot so I'm really looking forward to Winter Throwdown for multiple reasons, but that's my main reason. Yeah, we got an all-star squad, and we talk about the Throwdown a lot. I'm, we're a little biased. I mean, it's it's the race that I do with uh, Steve and stay the course, but um, yeah, we get to talk about it on here quite a bit. It's coming up January 9th, 2021. I got a lot of top pro riders hit me up daily about the race, so I think it's going to be stacked. We got Carter and Sammy doing the social media we have Dale Jones and Daryl Brittlinger doing my my gate to get on the track. We have Kelly Bell doing my lineups. So many great people helped me out. Melissa, Jalen. Elite list of people. Yeah, dude. It's it's awesome. John Vitas is doing the announcing. We're going to have a lot of really, really cool stuff. My mom, shout out to my mom, my sister Keely, Steve and his wife, Jess, Alexis, just a lot of people. Jalen is our referee this year. We got a lot of really fun group of people that helped me put the race on. I'm probably forgetting some people. We'll make sure I get, get them shout out here in the future. But yeah, the biggest thing with our event is we try to have a lot of fun and we're going to have a good time and it's going to be great. So hope you guys can make it. If you have any questions, hit me up. Sammy, what are you drinking tonight, man? You drinking, drinking anything? You Agua, water. Water? You still hurting, dude? Or what? Oh, I'm just playing it safe, man. Cause I know, you know, uh, We've got some holidays coming up, and, uh, you know, I'm just trying to hydrate. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's talk about our guest tonight, actually. And, man, amped up, Davey Durrell. Durrell Racing. A lot of people know him as suspension, selling wheels, selling tires. But the dude is a legend on the track, and it, it extends a very long career and a very diverse different disciplines he's done, Sammy. Yeah, no, no. Uh, you know, obviously super talented, uh, very calculated rider, uh, very underrated in the flat track world, I would say. A real racer's racer, you know, I mean, and we talk about some guys on this on the show here that have ridden, um, you know, a lot of different motorcycles. But when you start thinking about not only the, the brands of motorcycles that Davey has uh, rode, but the different types of motorcycles he's rode, it's pretty... Uh, it's a long list of motorcycles, man. So, yeah, really excited to talk to Davey Durrell for sure. Yeah, he's a great guy, too. So I want to shout out our sponsors and make this show happen week in and week out. Bell Power Sports. Check out bellhelmets.com to view their full line of products. The quality and safety of these helmets, they're just unmatched. I mean, they're just great quality helmets. If you start tank slapping, you want to be protected by Bell. 
Roof Systems of Dallas, Texas, commercial industrial roofing company with nearly 40 years of experience. Commercialroofsystems.net. Big shout out to Jerry Stinchfield for supporting our podcast and supporting the sport. And Climb Sports. Climb is driven to produce the most advanced motorcycle apparel on the planet. Check them out at climb.com. They have snow riding gear, which apparently it's like the premier snow. I don't ride on the ice, Sammy. It's way too cold for me. But all the boys are Michigan, Wisconsin. I see them wearing their gear all the time. They have street riding apparel, jackets, gloves, off-road apparel, and a lot more. They're also on social media at Climb, K-L-I-M, Motorcycle. So check them out on social media. Tell them the boys from Tank Slap and sent you and uh, give them some support. We talked about, you're not drinking beer tonight, Sammy, but I was kind of curious, man. What is, I know you're a Coors Light guy, but what's your least favorite beer? Do you have a beer that you just simply avoid? Like, what is no-no on the Sammy list? Bud Light. Taste this. What? Shut up. Hey, Bud Light, man. I don't know. It's just like if there's a beer to go head head to head with Coors Light, it'd have to be Bud Light. So you know, I'm a Coors Light guy. Got it. If I put Coors Light in a Bud Light can, or Bud Light in a Coors Light can, could could you taste the difference? Yeah, oh, of course. Man. It's Coke and Pepsi. It's like you know the Coke Coke Pepsi challenge. Same thing. Dude, for me, it's Blue Moon. I hate Blue Moon. I think Blue Moon sucks. Okay, all right. Now, now that now they got got my wheels turning because I'm a little slow. Uh, you know what? I I don't like. I don't like. Oh man, this is gonna. I'm shooting myself in the foot. I'm not even gonna say it. Say it. <laughs> what? I'm really gonna shoot myself in the foot because oh man, I don't know. I guess my least favorite beer. Damn it! I just drew a blank. I totally <laughs> forgot. Give me a second. It's going to come right back to me. Just say something. It'll come right back to me. Corona? I'll blurt it out. No, not Corona. Corona's good, man. I like Corona. Not Corona Landshark, Corona right? Light, though, is terrible. Not corona Landshark, Light right? Corona Light is gross. Nah, I could do Landshark. Landshark's all right. It's not my favorite. I could do it. Corona Light, that's garbage, though. That is that is trash. I don't Guinness? even know why they make that. Huh? Guinness? Like, where are you? What's your... What don't no, you like? Oh, man. I just... Like... Carter, what about you? What's Give me your, a second, it'll it'll hit me. What's your we'll least mid show and I'll beer wise? Sit it out. Least favorite beer, Carter. Least favorite beer has got to be Natty Natty Light. Can't do yeah, Natty Light. Yeah, that's like a very Narragansett. shitty version of course. You ever had that? It, what? I think it's called Narragansett or something. Are you just making up shit? No, it's no. On a different planet right now, dude. No, it's gross beer, man. Uh, like, uh, hold on, let me look it up. And the Nara- Beast, uh, was yes. it M- Milwaukee's best? Beasts, Beast Light, whatever Beast? the hell. Oh, oh, yeah. Those were horrible. Yeah, that's it. Narragansett beer. I went to this up. real foofy party one time, and there was all these, all this Narragansett beer. Everybody was raving about. He's making had. shit up, dude. That is made up. How do you spell Narragansett? No, no, no. It's a real beer. Well, what's your go-to, Carter? I don't even know what your go-to is. I don't. I have. A, I have a, I've had a couple different phases. I've had. I used to be, be a big Killians fan back in the day. Then I went to like a Mick Ultra. Nick Ultra is cool. I can run with Nick Ultra. Yeah, but I don't. Corona was my go-to, but I don't know if I can say that anymore. I don't know. Yeah, fuck, dude. Pacifico. Uh, I like Pacificos too. Pacifico. I I like cheap Mexican beers. So like that's a California uh, thing, dude. I never heard of Modelo until I went to California and Santa Cruz Boardwalk. All they were selling is Modelo. I'm like, (laughs) what the hell is this? Like. I don't know. Obviously, I'm known as the Landshark guy. I'm obsessed with Landshark, but <laughs> Big Land there's a good guy. local brewery called Lancaster Brewing Company. There's a strawberry wheat beer that I really, really like, and I'm drinking that tonight. So, 
Um, oh, you want to know another beer that really sucked? Now I might get in trouble for this. Maybe, maybe not. But uh, whatever they gave out at that. After, oh, yeah. The, <laughs> yeah. Uh, what is it? The, um, I don't know. That was some pretty. That shit was awful. That was. Uh, oh. <laughs> is it? What is that? Oh, I, I don't get, know, man. Oh, it's I, I, um Ranger. The Ranger. Uh, oh, Voodoo Ranger. Voodoo Ranger. Yeah. I was all pumped oh, up, man. Last man. race of the year, they're like, oh, yeah, we're bringing beer by for everybody. The guy came by on a little pit cart. Actually, you know what? That beer, whatever that beer was, that one takes the cake. That beats that Narragansett or whatever. That, that shit hurt. To death uh, hurt my throat. I felt like I was drinking pure gasoline. Oh, that was, was bad. Like, we couldn't even give it away. Yeah. We couldn't. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's cool they sponsor Flat Track, but... It is cool, man. They brought this big cooler over. I was like, yeah, here we go. Looked inside. I was like, yeah. It cracked one open. I was like, what is this, man? Springer wouldn't even drink it. Springer wouldn't drink it. I had to give him a Coors Light. <laughs> Uh, i love it that's so funny um yeah i guess there's some stuff we can chat about after we talk to davy but let's give davy a call we had a few difficulties sammy has like a 1930s fucking computer and it never works so we we're running a little late on the show tonight so let's call let's call Darrell and and chat with him and and get him on the show man it's a long time coming carter give davy a call let's do it Davey Durrell, C-Tech, Sammy Sabedra, Tank Slapping Podcast. How are you, man? I'm doing all right. How you doing, Sammy and Corey? Guys, having doing a good night? Good, man. Yeah, we're doing really good. Uh, couldn't be. Uh, couldn't think of a better place to be than sitting here talking to National Number Fifty Eight. Yeah, X. Long time X, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I love it. No, we've been wanting to get you on here for a while, and I'm like, eh. I've been bothering Davey a lot this week. Let's just bother him a little bit more. So we'll talk about that a little bit later, our our, our latest endeavor we've had to deal with the last week with um, a tire shipment that went pretty crazy. We'll, we'll talk about that. But I want to talk about kind of get into your career right away, man. I mean, I want to learn more about your amateur days a little bit because I just don't know. You know, I know you turned pro in like the early 80s, but getting into it i think i read somewhere you started when you were nine or ten years old you know i know there was like a lack of mini bikes back then unless you built one from scratch but how did you get started in flat track like how did that all play out yeah that's actually kind of a funny story to begin with so i've been riding around xr75 you know that was kind of the the bike you know and before that, I actually had an Indian 50. That was my very first bike, and I still have it today. My dad kind of restored it, you know, and gave it to me a couple of years ago. But anyway, I went went to the Area 75 and, you know, flogged that around, and we lived on some acreage. So I was just riding the thing every day, and then finally my dad goes, oh, you want to go try a race? And I was like, sure. And so he looks in the Sunday paper and says, oh, there's a race at this location here up in Cambridge, Minnesota, let's go, we'll go there. And I'm like, okay. So I had a buddy of mine that he came with me, and I was so excited. We pull into this place, and there is nobody there. I mean, there is nobody. And we're like, what's going on? You know, we're dead, checking the time, you know, looking and going, yeah, this should be it. And then it's like, and then I'm sitting here, I'm like in tears, you know, because I was just so excited to go racing. And then we drive all the way home, get home, he pulls up the grabs the newspaper and looks it back up again and then realizes it was last week's paper. And so we <laughs> had, had missed it by a week, you know. So, uh, so, but then eventually, yeah, so eventually we got to a short track and started doing the flat track thing. 
did a few motocrosses back in the day to on you know on the XR75s and and just didn't really like it that much on motocross thing. Every time I'd get done with a moto, I'd just say, "Dad, I got a, I got a really bad headache." You know, and you know, and I look back now and I think, well, it's probably because I was wearing a stinking helmet that didn't even fit my head, you know, and so it was probably bouncing around and and causing that more more than anything. But just kind of leaned towards the you know the flat tracking and just started in doing that, and then graduated to the you know the modified XR75, which became an XR80, and and you know into the YZ85s back in you know seventy five. Let's see, when would they have been? And they probably seventy four, seventy five in that range, you know, when I was racing those, you know, graduate up to a 125. First time I threw a leg over a Boltaco 250, I went off into the turn and downshifted and hit their one of their famous false neutrals and went <laughs> flying off the racetrack. And the guy that loaned me the bike was about having a heart attack. And I managed to miss the grader and, and looped around and got back on the track. And yeah, you know, and eventually just did turn novice in 1980. You know, I think I finished out eighth in the nation. You know, at that time it was really cool because like the top ten novices got invited down to the Houston Astrodome, which was you know the huge big deal. And so, so yeah, so finishing out eighth and getting to be able to go to Houston Astrodome as a junior, yeah, that was super cool. Um, but oh, you know, but but a rude awakening to the to the holy shit, these experts go fast because at that time on the short track you would run. You know, we were running those. No, I take that back. That would have been that. It would have had to have been the rookie expert year that I went down and raced on the short track against, you know, all those guys, you know, Terry Poovey and, and uh, um, Ronnie Jones and, you know, all the guys, you know. So it um, that that was an eye-opener to go, you know, that, holy shit, these guys are a way big step above, you know, any of the junior classes. But, um but yeah, did the whole junior thing, you know, raced at that time. It was really cool because we did a 500 Honda. And uh, and so we were able to race it basically twice because they had, at that time, they had a thing called Battle of the Brands. And so we got to run just the standard junior class. And then we got to run a Battle of Brands, which were basically, you know, Hondas against Yamaha 500s, you know, and um, won a bunch of those. And, and um, you know, yeah, did, did pretty good as a junior as well. And, you know, and then just kind of worked your way up so quite a bit different than it is today yeah you know um you talked a lot about uh you know some of the early days of uh racing in, in minnesota you know i, w- I want to talk to you about there's certain pockets of the country everybody kind of knows everybody knows lodi cycle bowl everybody knows you know ohio is full of pea gravel half miles but what is the racing scene like or what was it like there in Minnesota, I mean, uh, you always hear of Cambridge, and, and I believe that's a TT if I'm not mistaken. But what other tracks did did you know you grew up going to, and, and who were the, some of the local guys that maybe as you were coming up that you kind of looked up to, or were the fast guys from Minnesota? I mean, we all know there's you know you know Peter Hook and Billy Hoffmeister and Randy Triplett, you know, and and, and there's been guys more recently like uh, Kevin Anderson and, and Jake. Taya, but you know going back what was minnesota racing like as you were coming up through it yeah when i was coming up it was really good i mean we had there was a lot of participation 
uh, you know, a fair amount of different racetracks to run. We would run during the wintertime. We would run indoors. They uh, Down in Minneapolis Armory, they started out there, then went over to the St. Paul Civic Center. So we'd run indoors on Coke syrup, you know, and probably did, I don't know, five or six of those races kind of throughout the winter months. Summertime, it was a good variety of tracks. There was no similarities between any of the tracks. They were all quite a bit different. I'd say they leaned toward more toward cushiony-type tracks, you know, the one mainstay track that ended up being the first race I went to is called Helms Speedway. And and George Helms, you know, had lived in a small town uh, north of the cities and, yeah, had this racetrack and had a TT in the middle of it, had the short track around the outside. You know, it was a good-sized short track, too. You know, it was a, probably a real quarter mile. Um, and every... You know, like every other weekend, we would, you know, every every weekend there wasn't a race, they would have rock-picking parties, and so we would all go up there and walk around the track and pick boulders and rocks off the track, and so it was good to go for the next race weekend. But, yeah, it was it was good, but, yeah, back in the day, for sure, you know, guys guys like Peter Hook and um, Ronnie Bystrom, there's just a bunch of guys. There used to be, it was cool, there was a, there was a group called the Forest Lake uh Horse like racing team, I think they were called, and it was just a group of guys, all kind of from up there that you know were really into it and had you know Osas and Bulldogos and you know all all kind of that really cool old stuff, and and I remember them, you know, then they would always go at Sturgis, and I as a little kid just like oh, because you know, they all had matching leathers and they all had stars going down there. Uh, sleeves and down their legs, and they're blue with white stripes, you know. And so, so it was just yeah, things like that are pretty, pretty iconic to the to the Minnesota racing scene. Yeah, and you talked about you know the famed novice junior expert. Um, a lot of the people on social media and a lot of the older fans they talk about that structure, the novice junior expert. Obviously, that's before my time. Should I believe the hype, Davey, on that format? Was it a, a good thing? And also, you mentioned you were, you know, the eighth-ranked novice. I think you said um, in 1980. Who who was the um, who was like the top-ranked novice? And did those guys ever just fan out? Like, were there any good novices or juniors that didn't make the expert ranks for whatever reason? Anyone kind of in your mind a little bit? Um. Yeah, I mean, a few guys, you know, and I'm trying to think back and really kind of remember their names, but... No, I was just curious <laughs> about that whole that whole structure thing, man. I mean, you hear about it a lot. Yeah. Like, everybody talks about it. Oh, you need to go back to this, you know, novice junior expert. Well, why? Like, what, what was so good about it? Well, you know, it was good at the time because they were, cause you had 300 riders showing up at a race, you know, and 150 or 200 of them were novices, you know, and so you had to have it broke apart, you know, you basically you're making more classes for, for the amount of riders, you know, now you don't have that depth in the field, so you don't necessarily need to have, you know, three different divisions, however how you in reality you kind of do you know you got the singles you got the production twins and then you got super twins so astro cup hooligans how much different is that from novice junior expert you know in a sense the bikes have changed but you know it's kind of the same because in the junior was just a restricted xr 750 most of them a lot of them ran well that's kind of what you're running in the in the production twins so yeah maybe maybe it is the same 
<laughs> it kind of is, you know. Yeah, I, I think enough. of it that way sometimes. I mean, there is three very distinct classes, you know. And so, but you couldn't you know. go back to junior, or you couldn't go back if you were an expert. I think that's why a lot of people tweak out about the, the Corey Texters and the Henry Wiles and the Mikey Rush and the Chad Coses who quote unquote go back to the singles because they consider it expert, junior, and novice still. When realistically, like you couldn't go back, right, Davey? Like when you were expert, you couldn't go back to novice or junior, right? Yeah. What would you do? Just retire then? If you like, if you didn't have a a 750 twin ride, uh, you couldn't go back and ride a 500 or 600 Rotex. You just retired, or what? It didn't go yeah, pro. Yeah, you know, and I think unless you were maybe off or didn't ha- didn't hold the pro card for a couple of years or something, maybe then they would allow you to. But I can't say that anybody did that. You know, pretty much everybody, you know, worked their hardest to get up through the ranks to become an expert. And then, yeah, like you said, so many of them fizzled out because either they couldn't, you know, either afford the equipment or, you know, at that point in time, you know, at that point in time, a lot of people, a lot of guys are getting older and and or you know getting in a relationship getting married maybe having kids you know so then the racing thing goes away you know it's just dummies like me who just never really bothered being serious about girls and wanting to you know go that down that road i just wanted to be racing motorcycles and so that's all i did you know and i did it long enough to be able to finally kind of get good at it you know you talk about depths of fields and stuff, and, and I guess anybody, uh, people under the age of 40 might wonder or not have ever heard of a regional championship series that the AMA used to have. They used to have a Western regional championship series and an Eastern regional, and you were uh, a regional champion, uh, if I'm not mistaken. Is that correct, Davey? Yeah, I won the Western Regional, I don't know, at least once, maybe twice. And for those that are, like I said, maybe under the age of 40 or so, could you, could you kind of help explain what the what that regional series was and where you guys raced and what you raced on? Um, it, yeah, it was just, uh, you know, kind of certain amount of certain events that qualified or, or they put in for uh, being a, a, a regional championship race. Uh, a lot of those races, you know, were always at Sturgis every year. So that consisted of short track and half mile. Um, and uh, and so that's really all the further at that time. That's all the further west I would go. So, there, you know, if there wasn't enough races or maybe they might have had one or two out in California. Um, but because Sturgis was a Western regional, I could go there. I could win all those races or do really good at them and win the championship. Um and then, so they kind of had that throughout the country. They had an eastern, you know, and a central. Um, and so those uh, regionals would be just, yeah, just the promoters that would be put into it. And, and, you know, and I'm sure it cost them a little extra to become a regional championship. But it was a good stepping stone because, you know, then obviously a lot of the, you know, guys that are either trying to run nationals or maybe can't afford to run all the nationals, but they would run a lot of these, you know, regional races. Um, and they paid more. They had contingencies. Um, you know, back in the day, it was, it was really pretty good. You could get contingencies from oil and helmets and, you know, uh, leathers and, you know, any of the brands, you know, that were putting into it at the time. And so um, that always helped, you know, for sure. And it was, they're, they're, you know, it was always fun, for sure. Yeah, and going back to your career, Davey, in the 
the expert ranks, you know, you started to kind of come into your own in the late 80s, early 90s. You had some really good finishes. I want to say, this is without looking it up, I think you had two or three podiums, correct? If I'm wrong, how many podiums have you had? Okay. Yeah, probably around that. I know um, I almost, you know, kind of the story of your life, you know, you almost almost won Indy twice. So the first time um, I remember distinctly, you know, it's like before the main event, we look at the gas, you know, look in the gas tank and go, gosh, we had some. And I just said, no, no, it's fine. It's fine. And uh, and my dad was sitting there, ah, you know, he was pissed. He, he, he wanted to add gas. And I was like, nope, nope, it's fine. Of course, I'd go out there and, you know, four laps from the end, you know, on the Harleys, the petcocks are in the front of the tank. And so down the straightaway, all the gas runs to the back of the tank and I start running out of gas. And then I, you know, go into the turn and all the gas goes to the front of the tank and fills up the carburetors again. And I can get around the corner and, you know, I'm three quarters of the way down the straightaway before it starts cutting out. And, and, and I did that for about, you know, it happened probably three laps. I suppose it was doing that. And at that time, then Parker catches me and passes me and goes by and I end up second. And then the next time I was, I was out in front again, leading it, you know, had a good strict, good lead. And, uh, and Larry Pegram crashes down in turn three and four and his bike's laying out in the middle of the groove. And, and so I'm coming around, I'm seeing yellow flags and I check up of course, you know, Kevin Atherton, you know, he would never check up regardless. Uh, and so he goes around me, you know, and has speed. And so we get to the front straightaway, he drafts, drafts past me, you know, 20 miles an hour faster and put enough of a gap. And of course that was white flag lap. So there it goes second again. <laughs> Oh. <laughs> and so, oh, you know, it's just like all those, you know, woulda, coulda, woulda, shouldas, you know, but those are probably the two closest ones and, you know, runs it. And otherwise, San Jose, actually I had some really good runs at San Jose, been on the box there and won the Camel Challenge out there one year. Um, you know, of course, that was the year when they first started out. And I don't know if they went one or two years of giving out $10,000, you know, for the winner of the Camel Challenge. Of course, the year I went it, it, it was cut in half. It was only five grand, but still, you know, it was uh, it was definitely a, a, a great memory and, and an awesome day. Yeah, I was going to say you won that. I actually I saw that online. You won that Camel Challenge in 1992. So that was a nice little paycheck. And you always did really well on the miles. I know you're a shorter guy, kind of like me, kind of like Sammy, where this is the short guy crew tonight. But, you know, you did really well on the miles. But what was kind of your least favorite type of track? I mean, what didn't you like? Cushions, TTs, short tracks, clay half miles. What what was kind of your Achilles heel? I think probably, you know, as much as I love TTs, I, I struggle at going really fast on them. Um, short track, same thing. I'm, I'm, a, I'm an okay short tracker. I'm not a great short tracker. Half miles, it will, if they were rough and cobby and nasty, yeah, I'm not that kind of guy either, you know. Yeah, I'm definitely better on a hard pack groove type track. But, you know, places like even DeCoin, you know, and DeCoin would kind of be kind of a cushion or early uh, indie early on in the day, you know, it would always be somewhat of a cush there. But it was smooth and it was consistent, you know. And so those type of tracks I could, I, you know, I could really, you know, do good at. But, yeah, definitely like the grooves. I'm definitely a groove rider and... And certainly, you know, the miles were my fave. 
Well, yeah, no doubt about that with the finishes you had, especially at Indy. I remember, you know, being a kid going through the cycle news and seeing some pretty awesome pictures of you uh, laying it into turn three. Uh, I'll have to dig those up and post those on our Instagram because those are some pretty epic pictures of you. And, uh, you know, just a personal question I have, Davey. I've always been kind of curious about, uh, you know, so many guys um, use during your time, Camel Pro days, used a traditional, you know, flat track font. Everybody kind of had the same font. And then here you come with this really cool, unique looking 58. Where did, where did you get that 58 from or how did that come about? And tell us about the font that you used. Yeah, I think I just wanted, yeah, I just wanted something unique. And, and so I really, you know, back in the day, we all, or a lot of us, you know, just cut numbers out of contact paper. And so for a year, you know, for a long time, I just had these, you know, templates that I had that I just basically kind of hand drew and just wanted that racy kind of a little bit of a lean to it, you know, and just some, just some nice rounded shape, you know, to the, to the number and, and made, made my stencils, made my own, you know, templates basically. And, you know, lay them on contact paper and cut them out and stick them on your plate. And, you know, I was before pro plates, you know, kind of on that, I think he was, uh, Paul, the original owner of that, was one of the few. Buffalo, I guess, was back in the day. And there's another one out west that we used to deal with a lot. But yeah, yeah kind of before the, the real people started actually making you know, nice number plates. So, so that's, that's how, cool. yeah, that's kind of how that all came about. Uh, that's but, really cool. Thanks for taking, you know, for taking the time to explain that. I know it was kind of a personal question, but I always wondered about your 58, where you got that from. So, yeah, uh, what that person was saying, you're not asking him about his sex life or anything. Right. <laughs> well, you know, it's, it, you know, it's, it's a, a personal question. <laughs> uh, I don't know how many people would no. want to know, you know, where you got his font from, but to me, I, I thought it was kind of cool, you know. To me, it was kind of cool, too. So, back in the day after I quit and and my number went, you know, to somebody else. Greg Teague had gotten it, called me, and he goes, he goes, Dave, would you mind if I ran your, you know, your style number? And I was like, heck no, that'd be awesome. I'd appreciate it, you know. So so that was cool, you know, that he liked it too, you know. He liked it well enough. He wanted to put it on his bike, you know, so I thought that was awesome. Yeah, that that is cool. That's cool that he called too. That's a, that's a good respect thing. I, I, I really like when riders do that. But you retired, I guess it was 1995, how was that decision? You know, what what went into your decision to retire? I know you had a couple of injuries. What was the transition period like right after you decided to retire? Uh, it was actually pretty easy because I started, you know, kind of like in the, oh, well, after, you know, when I got hurt, I think probably like 91, 92 um, at Pomona and um, broke my hip and broke my femur. And so that one took me out for a while. And, and then, uh, so after, you know, I came back from that and raced some races, but it was just getting to be, you know, to me, it was getting to be driving, you know, cause I was doing everything. I, you know, I was working on the bike, um, you know, and, you know, I just had basically one bike, you know, and our bike, you know, Jerry Willamy from general engineering, you know, built our Harley, we would run on it all year long, you know, and change pistons, rings, that sort of thing. But the lower end, it lasted all year long, basically, you know, I was doing just the, you know, week maintenance on the bikes, you know, adjusting valves, changing oil, doing, our, you know, just doing that normal stuff, you know, plus trying to work and then jumping in the van and me and either Tony Donahue kind of towards the end, he was, uh, he was racing and, and, or, you know, back in the day it was Triplet and Peter Hook and all those guys, we, 
you know, jump in the van, road trip, you know, show up at the racetrack at seven in the morning, you know, just in time to sign up. And, you know, and so that grind, that grind, you know, just being, doing it all wears on you. And so, so early in 90, I was starting to mess with my own suspension, you know, and, and just trying to make it better because the stuff that we had back in the day was pretty, nobody really messed with it. Nobody really knew anything about it. Certainly the manufacturers had no idea what they were selling you. You know, it was just something they imported pulled off the shelf and there you go and so i started working on these things and getting them better and then and then that kind of you know as soon as my bike was working better like it was you know kind of really good through the early 90s then you know guys you know like skip eakin and he had davy camlin riding for him at the time you know and he's like man i'm i can't get this thing working for dave you know what are you doing to yours and i was like well here it is it's gonna cost you 150 bucks well back then 150 bucks was awesome i could do that if i did that you know, did a couple of those a week. I was like, man, this is awesome. So uh, that's kind of how it started. You know, I started working on the suspension. I ended up just, you know, spending more time delving into that. I built myself a shock dyno so I could, you know, actually measure and and read and record the changes that I was making. And uh, so then I was starting to do basically my competitors' uh, suspension to, uh, you know, help them get better. And pretty soon I was like, oh, crap, I've got, you know, a fair amount of work to do here. I don't have time to go racing. So so it made that transition to where I finally got to the point of going, all right, I am sick of driving to the race these shitty racetracks. And I'm done. So I was just like, yeah. So, I, yeah, yeah. And I just said, all right, this is it. I'm just going to start working on suspension and figured I could do that, do enough of that. You know, I had enough of that going where it could keep me busy and yeah, kind of move on to the next chapter of life. Well, you know, obviously the racing bug never left you because, uh, you know, you know, you quit racing and or retired, you know, in, in 95, like Corey said, and, uh, a few years later, uh, you, you rode in some of the Formula USA races. I, I believe you won uh, a race or two or a few rounds there. And then amongst that racing, you did a lot of vintage racing and you were, you know, stocked in Kansas here, there. But uh, also you've uh, claimed Pikes Peak as your own. I mean, you're the winningest rider on that mountain. How, how did you tr- transition from being a, you know, dirt track guy to uh, lining up at Pikes Peak? And how did... You know, was that something that just came so natural to you, or you were you fast right out of the gate there, or how did all that work? Well, I was fast there and, until I didn't know where I was going, and then then you got a problem because <laughs> you can't go fast when you don't know where the hell you are on the road. And uh, so, yeah, it was uh, actually triplet. I think kind of brought that up one year. You know, as I think they came back in like '91, maybe. Um, but the motorcycles hadn't been competing there for many years or, you know, for several years. Uh, 91 was going to be this, you know, re- the return of motorcycles and Triplet found it or saw it in some, something, cycle news probably or whatever. And he goes, man, we should go do this. And so we did, we just hopped in the van and drove out and did it. Didn't have a clue what we were getting ourselves into, but it was a ball. It was totally fun and, and realized right away, it's like, you know, Oh, I got to come back because I can do better. You know, I mean, and that's the whole thing about that whole event. It's no matter no matter how you race the road, 
there's always things that you're going to be able to, or you, you know, you know that you could do better and improve, you know, the next time around. And so that always keeps you coming back. So that's where it kind of started out being. But yeah, the wood road taxes were the, were the best bike option for sure. And uh, me not being like a great tier, I could go there and for whatever reason, just be, I think it was me because it was more wide open and more fast, more half mile type corners, a lot of them. You know, and there's a lot of hairpins, a lot of braking involved too. But that kind of, you know, came in, in time. But, but yeah, I remember being so amped. Like I don't know if it was the first year, the second year, you know, whatever. Just getting in behind these guys and and following them. We used to race five at a time, so that was always so fun. And then I'd just be following. I just follow, follow, follow. And and then I remember getting like, oh man, I can go faster here. So I blasted past either Brian or Clinton, and then gotten got ahead of them, and it was just like. Then it was just that oh shit moment of crap. I don't know where the hell I am on this road. What's coming up next? You know, and then you know it wasn't. It didn't take long before those guys are blowing back past me because I'm like I, I couldn't be on the gas, not knowing where I was going and what was around the next turn. So eventually, I I finally realized, all right, I gotta I gotta only study the top. So that's all I did. I didn't care about the bottom. I could care less. I never looked at the bottom. Didn't know any of those turns. I only knew the top. And so when the race was on, I would just sit down at the bottom and follow those guys and let them drag me all the way till we get to the top. We got to the top, and I hammered down. You know, quick, quick question about, you know, the mountain. You talk about the bottom and the top. Uh, for those, you know, if you can explain a little bit maybe to our listeners that, that may not be too familiar with the mountain. I mean, it, it's a, you know, a race up a mountain. The, I think the top of the mountain is over 14,000 feet. So it's quite a, a change in elevation. Uh, I mean, I think there's like a hundred, close to 160 turns on the thing and it's about 12 or 13 miles long. It, it's a pretty intense course. So what is considered the top of the mountain? Um, above tr- Timberline, you know, basically, um, so you get up, you know, as you start the race, you're, I don't know what you're at, maybe nine, 9,000 or something like that. And, and you're in the woods and the, you know, winding through the trees and, and then you, um, they've kind of now, at least, you know, over the years now they've broken apart into three sections. So what, during practice days, now it's, it's, you practice either the bottom, the middle or the top. And the, when we were running it initially, we would practice the top section and we would practice the bottom section. It was split in half. And so the top section basically was just at the edge, edge of Timberline. You'd go up a little ways and get above Timberline, and then it was just wide open. Yeah, I mean, how well do you know the course now? I mean, do you remember it pretty well? <laughs> like, can you go up it, I wouldn't say with your eyes closed, but how, how well do you know the course? Yeah, it's ingrained in my head. I'll, it'll never leave, I don't think. You know, as many times as I've been up it now, and you know, yeah. uh, you know, between actual races and and then all the test days and the practice runs and all that stuff, it's like, yeah, I got a million. It's like having a million laps on one track, you know. You see. Yeah, I mean, how sketchy is it? Obviously, there's a lot of danger in Pikes Peak, and you know, we've we've lost some really good riders there over the years. But from a rider's point of view, like, what is the the sketchiness compared to say like racing Springfield mile with 18 guys on an XR 750? Uh, I guess it's, uh, it's really, to me, it's the same, you know, I mean, it's, it is dangerous, but everything is dangerous and it's, it's kind of as, it's only as dangerous as you make it. You know, I mean, if you're going to go, like I said before, like if I get ahead of those guys, I didn't know where I was going. Well, 
I'm not just going to stay on the gas. You know, I'm not going to be that guy. And so just like you're at Springfield and you're racing in a pack of, you know, guys, you're not just going to go off into the turn and just hold it wide open and, and just crash into all these guys. I mean, you're just not going to do stupid stuff, you know. And yeah. so as long as you race the mountain with respect and know, you know, and, and, and to me, I've always only ridden that that race probably 80, 85% of my level um, just because you have to have that little margin, you know, you can't go a hundred percent, you know, and, and expect to make it to the top. So. All right. Wow. That's, that's pretty wild to think about, you know, because I mean, you're really, uh, you know, laying it on the line. So you have to reserve some, uh, you know, room for air. That's insane. Is there, are there any other races, uh, that, uh, compared to Pikes Peak, are there any other hill climbs that you do uh, to prepare? Or I don't even know of any other races that are that are similar. Are there any? They actually have a whole series here in Colorado, um, and it's only been recently, probably the last maybe three, four, or five years, where they've included motorcycles onto it. But the whole Pikes Peak kind of started by the Colorado um, Hill Climb Association, which was an automotive, you know, hill climb, you know, group of guys that they would do. There's all these uh, courses or roads going up up these mountains. And so they would, you know, for a day they'd block the road off and have races. Well, they did them all over. You know, there's probably six or eight different courses throughout Colorado that they would do these, and then Pikes Peak would be like the granddaddy of them all, you know. Um, so that's kind of how it all started, you know. But then uh, on the local uh, level, they just never had, uh, never wanted to or just never had enough interest to do motorcycles. But like I said, they've been been doing that now lately. Uh, they've had, a, you know, some local, local guys doing them. I never did, you know. I mean, obviously when we were coming, we were traveling from Minnesota originally, and coming here and so we'd get here a few days before you know race week i mean that the peak took a whole week you know you'd have registration one day you'd have tech inspection you'd have you know then you'd have like three days of, of practice because you'd have practice you know on the mountain you get three different days to practice and then you uh then you maybe had the day off and then you'd come back for a race day so it was a you know it's a fairly time-consuming event to participate in um but it was run you know i mean it's always been run really well and and it just you know just has so much mystique you know just has so much notoriety with it you know and yeah um, it's just been yeah it's just been a super cool event to have to have been involved with over the years and see how it has transformed and, and changed and stuff so yeah know, unfortunately you know to me it's like eh I, you know, obviously, I wish they would have never asphalted it, but it's a, it's the changing of time, and and that, but that just changed the whole characteristics of the race. You know, it made it made it from being a a race that a dirt tracker could do really good at to uh, a race that now a road racer can do really good at. Right. So what you're saying is, Rusty Rogers wouldn't be the most ideal rider for Pike Peak. <laughs> uh, no, I don't think he would have made it very far. <laughs> Rusty you, Rogers uh, and Kevin Atherton. <laughs> yeah. Did you have any, um, kind of gets me into it, did you have any rivals growing up? I mean, you're pretty, you're a pretty mellow guy. I mean, you're always pretty happy, positive. I can't see, I don't know if I've ever seen you fired up. Any... Any, you know, rivals when you went through the pro ranks, anybody you got into it with on the track? 
No. Yeah, no, not at all. So. I mean, you know, it's just like, yeah, I'd, you know, just, I don't know. Damn never... it, give us something. <laughs> <laughs> give us a Randy Triplett but story I, I just, somebody <laughs> oh god that guy there's a million stories with that guy <laughs> <laughs> gotta be a story with a van going to, with motorcycles in the back I know there's something traveling somewhere to some dusty old fairgrounds Yeah, I'm sure there's probably uh, a couple of good stories in, in the back of your mind if, if you care to share well, I got one Davey for you that I kind of wanted to talk about we'll uh, we'll, we'll bring Bring this up, but your wife races, Camzy. Um, how did you meet her, and how did you get her involved in racing? Um, you know, she. We met at the ice races here in Colorado. Um, I moved out here from Minnesota in around '99, and um, and then started going to local races and doing the ice races up here. They had they have about five races, five races a year, and so. Uh, started going to those and started seeing her there going, man, she's really pretty cool. And um, so she was racing. I mean, she was racing then. So we got finally got to, uh, you know, while well, she blew me off for like forever before her sister crashes and breaks her, breaks a rib and gets hurt and some, you know, minor, minor injuries anyway. And so she says, well, they're taking my sister down to Colorado Springs. And so I said, all right. Well, here, I'll, you know, she goes, do you know where the hospital is? And I was like, yeah, you can follow me. So so we went down to the to the hospital down there and hung out there, and then our first date was at Subway waiting for her sister to get released from the hospital. So you got to thank uh, the sister, man. She, she yeah, reeled you in a little bit. Exactly. Finally. It's like, so, yeah, so then we started dating and, and uh, you know, probably dated for eight, nine months and got married. And yeah, now we're, we got four kids and life is crazy that's cool she was from a race she was a racer herself before you guys even got together i didn't know that that's 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 really cool yep yep so she's yeah and and but her dad would always make her ride like all these old vintage bikes she had an old fursang boltago that she rode and tt500 her dad was like big time tt500 guy and so that's what she rode she had one of those and they were just all you know just old vintage bikes and and so then when she met me and i said well here ride my 450 and she gets on it and one kick and it's up and running and she takes off and it's nice handles awesome you know soaks up every bump on the track she was like going this is awesome. And so there she had not been on a vintage bike since. <laughs> and then eventually converted to her brother too, um, Sean Nessoffer, who's uh you know, he's he's actually a really good rider. He's really come on and um and so he kinda went for that same thing, you know, it's like that's what that's what their dad had and that's what they got to ride and so yeah. you know, eventually I converted him to the to the modern bikes and and uh yeah, he's never. Well, he still dabbles with the vintage bikes too, but um, yeah. But yeah, so yeah, kind of a racing family. Her dad, um, super good guy. Been you know been around the racing thing. He actually had some some awesome stories. Like he almost won Daytona on the beach one year, but wow. I think he ran out of gas. Um, so uh, something that, you know, <laughs> a little coincidence there. <laughs> yeah, it was meant to be, man. You guys, uh, but, you were meant yeah. to be in that family. <laughs> Yeah. I'm going to buy you guys a yeah, can of VP so for Christmas. Hell <laughs> was, you know, yeah, he was, he was from Iowa. And so him and Dan Dubler, you know, all those guys, that was his era. Oh, cool. And those guys. And so, uh, yeah, he's got some awesome racing stories, too. But Nice. Well, I know you follow the – I've got one more question for you, then we'll get into our last segment we do. But 
I know you follow the AFT series. Obviously, you work with some guys, and you do the Astro Cup in a couple rounds when you're able. But are there any racers out there right now that kind of remind you of yourself, maybe your riding style, your demeanor, things like that, work ethics? Anybody out there who um, either either that or anybody you enjoy watching ride the most? Um, you no know, pressure, I, man. I, no, no pressure. Yeah, I really like watching them all. I mean, I really <laughs> like watching Briar. I think Briar is pretty magical on a bike. You know, um, you know, just seeing him and Jared, you know, go at it and just really making themselves, you know, step up their game. Um, you know, Jeffrey Carver, you know, Robinson, all those guys, I, I, you know, I love watching, you know, and, uh, so I'm excited for Vanderkoy this year being on the Indian to see how much different that's going to make for, you know, for him, you know, he has just been, you know, doing so well, you know, for what he's had and he's had some really good, you know, results over the years. And so I'd be curious to see if the Indian upset even a little bit more, um, but yeah, I can't say anybody that I would relate myself to, you know. Um, and, and it's so different now. There's nobody that that works on their own bikes really, and and then jumps in the van and drives, you know, to the racetrack. Probably the closest guy to that is maybe Carver, you know, that has done that sort of thing, you know, through the through the years, you know. But it, it's all changed. It's all different now. It's just you know that that's just not the way it's done anymore. Yeah, and I. I know I talked about it before, right before I brought you on, but I got a a shipment of tires getting sent from you, uh, Midas tires that you that you sell on Duralracing.com, and I got some tires I'm going to sell at the Winter Throwdown, and they were, Sammy, get this, they were getting delivered to uh, Florida, and we got a phone call that the truck got in an accident, and the tires were no longer available, and shit, the only thing that can happen when tire i mean you crash a truck tires are made of rubber like they're probably fine sure as shit the whole truck caught on fire and we oh, lost no the pe- we lost the power of tires so davy's oh. been working working on that so yeah Chaos. yeah that was a shocker holy cow you know and i you know you always see that too you know sometimes you see those transportation trucks in an accident you think holy crap hopefully, hopefully that's none of my stuff in there and you know or a cargo plane goes down or whatever you know and but for this to yeah to, for it to actually happen, it's like holy cow! It's just like pretty wild. I sure, hope, I sure hope the driver got out of there. You know, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I'm always hoping like I'm behind one of those trucks that just dumps gold out on the road. You know, <laughs> <laughs> like come on. I mean, Sammy, it was dirt track tires. I mean, I'd have been out. I'd have been on the side of the road being picking them up. You would have been diving down. in the flames. I'd have been yeah. diving in. I'd have saved them. <laughs> that's awesome well the last segment we do davy it's a higher low line kind of a this or that question pick one one or the other and give us a a brief explanation but talked about a little bit and sammy i saw this question you put on here and i was going to put down the same thing and i saw you beat me to it but we do that kind of a lot more times than not you know it's anyway go ahead yeah so pike's peak you got to go the full dirt course or full pavement course, and you kind of answered it, but yeah, hundred percent dirt. Yeah. Nice, nice. All right, this is just goofy one. And uh, would you rather be three inches shorter or six foot four? Uh, I'd go three <laughs> inches shorter. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I like it. <laughs> yeah. Who's shorter, you or Sammy? I don't know. Uh, Really close. I think back then, you know, back in my day, it was like Jim Felice and Teddy Taylor and myself were pretty much all about the same same height. Oh, um, yeah. yeah. 
you know, so it was kind of like the, we were the three really short guys. But I always like going the flat track races because in high school, I'd always get made fun of for being the shortest guy. I'd go to a flat track race. I'd be like average. Like I, there'd be like yeah. a dozen guys shorter than me. I'm like, hell yeah, I can hang out here all day. So, um, yeah, that's that's awesome. Um, you got to pick one. Woods Rotax or XR 750. What would you rather ride? I'd do a Wood Rotax. Those things are so forgiving and just such a good motorcycle. Um, you know, we we always had always ran the wood chassis, and they were just such a good, even just a uh, neutral chassis that I just felt like I could ride that thing. Um, just I could ride that bike 100%. You know, that was one of those deals where there's so many tracks throughout the Midwest that we would run, Henry, Illinois, all that stuff, uh, you know, that we would beat XRs every every day all day all day long yeah i've never rode a woods bike sammy ever no no woods frame ever they look I can't awesome believe it you know you haven't you haven't rode a lot of rotax you don't have a lot of rotax nah, i'm not I'm not a big right? rotax guy to be honest but the woods rotax is they look really really fun to ride it's on yeah. my to-do list i'll borrow carvers sometime yeah. make that happen i'm sure we can make that happen <laughs> all right i got i got one for you davy i mean you know you're you're originally from minnesota you will live in Colorado now. There's a Super Bowl going on. Who are you rooting for? The Minnesota Vikings or the Denver Broncos? Oh, the Vikings. Absolutely. <laughs> Those guys, I mean, it's just like back in the day when I, you know, growing up as as a Minnesotan, you know, to me it was Fran Tarkenton back in the day and the and the purple people eaters, you know, the, the defensive line. I mean, those guys were that that was it. That was were the best. Those, you know, and obviously those are the memories that I have, and for sure, yeah, I'm always I'll always be a Vikings fan for sure. Yeah, it's the same way, same way, man. I'm always I'm Philly till I die. I can move anywhere and still Philly. So I don't know if I should admit that, Davey. I know Philly and Vikings, we didn't get along too well a couple years ago. But uh, what would be sketchier? Racing down Pikes Peak or racing the Isle Man? You know, I would say down Pikes Peak because I have gotten Jeez. myself in trouble just on our, you know, on our basically our trip down the hill. You know, where and guy other guys have gotten totally have gotten themselves in trouble. There's one if you go on a, uh, YouTube it. Uh, I think it's called Hondas from Heaven. Uh, but a local guy Jeff Grace from from Colorado Springs and another local guy uh, from up in Woodland Park. I can't think of his name right now. He was coming down the hill, lost his front brake up on the hairpins. He crashes, lays it down. The bike goes off the edge of the track. Well, the road goes say down to your right and then hooks a, a 180 left and then goes down the mountain there. So right below where he went off is going to be all of the motorcycles coming back, you know, coming down the hill. And so his Honda, 450 Honda, went flipping down this hill, and it's airborne hitting the ground, airborne hitting the ground. And Jeff Grace is wearing a helmet cam, and he just happens to look up, and this Honda <laughs> from heaven came flipping down the mountain and landed and crashed into him. I mean, he just he like kind of avoided it, but it still kind of ran into his bike a little bit and didn't take him out. But it was amazing. And so, yeah, you can you can YouTube. I think it's called Honda's from Heaven. That's pretty awesome, pretty amazing things. But yeah, going down for sure because you got so much speed and so much momentum. It is so hard sometimes to get slowed up for the, for those turns, and they you know and so and everything's backwards, you know, and so you don't really even know where you're going. 
find that, Sammy. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna be looking that up here in a Put few it on moment. The story. Yeah. I love it. I'm 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 ready for my Astro Cup career, Davey, in a few years. I'm uh I'm gearing up for it. I hope we can dice it up. I only got to race you one time. It's at that race in uh Kansas and you, you beat me. I was like, yeah. Who's this guy? <laughs> I was like, Who's this old guy, Dad? He's like, Oh, it's Davey Durrell. He used to race with me. I'm like, Well shit, he's whoop, whoop my ass. And Shana beat me too that day, so I ended up getting third. That was a bad day. Um, <laughs> yeah, now I've had to. I actually got to race with Cody Cop at Sturgis this this last. Yeah, this year, and uh, crazy. Yeah, so that was uh, that was fun. You've raced but, with a lot of fathers and sons. Have you ever raced with three generations? I wonder if anybody has mm-hmm. done that, Sammy. If anyone's raced three generations of people now we'll have to look that up to figure that out yeah that something good, to think about now something to think about yeah um we appreciate you taking time davy i know you're super busy you got a lot going on you do so much for the sport and you have a really really cool storied racing career so thanks for taking the time to come on the show and we uh we really appreciate it yeah thanks guys like as you know i mentioned i talked to you a little bit about videoing and so i just want to give you a quick shout that i am in the process of putting together uh we're going to put together a a video with help from Yamaha and our local dealership here, Victory uh, Motorsports. Uh, Bill Victory helped get me a bike, and we're going to do a whole DTX conversion on the whole converting the Yamaha uh, 450 into, you know, basically what a championship winning bike is, um, you know, because they won the championship this year. So uh, we kind of got that deal going. So looking forward to that um, and and looking forward to doing all the videos and, and just, taking it piece by piece and and showing everybody the the process to the to do the conversion very cool very cool well you know like, like we said davy you know uh man a racer's racer what a true pleasure it has been talking to you and uh we look forward to seeing um, more from you with those videos in that build yeah thanks for taking yeah, the time davy awesome. all right thanks, for- thanks sammy thanks Corey. yeah davy thanks again buddy all right have a good night yep, see right. you later see ya Davey Durrell. Another nice guy. Like, we've just been pulling nice guys, man. Derek <laughs> Bostrom, Davey Durrell. Yeah. Who, that, who's nicer, Davey Durrell or Eric Bostrom? That, like, that's an impossible question to answer. I don't know if anybody's nicer than Davey. Like, I've never seen that guy fired up. And I asked him if he had any rivals, and nah. Well, <laughs> How do they, you uh, not have any rivals? I have a new rival every week. Like, um, <laughs> I've never heard anyone tell me a wild crazy Davy Durrell party story (laughs) (laughs) ever. I'm I'm sure there's some out there. I mean, he's, uh, yeah, I'd love to go out with Davy. That'd be a good time. Oh, Um, I'm sure it would be. I'm sure it would be, but you know, just, just trying to reiterate just a good dude. Yep. Yeah. And he like, he sells suspension work, tires, wheels, spindles, DurrellRacing.com. Check him out. Davy actually did the suspension, Sammy, on both my bikes that have been on the podium at the GNC level. Springfield Mile, when I got third, you know, I ran with uh, right with Coolbeth and Smith to the whole race, almost won the race. And then Arizona Mile, that rough and shitty mile, Davy did the suspension on that bike. And, yeah, that was my first podium. And a lot of my good finishes throughout my career, uh, Durrell Racing was the guy behind the suspension. So big shout out to Davy for. Uh, and, and my DTX bike, my my Honda, that I, I've I've won a lot of those indoors and Savannah half miles and cushions, and that's all Davy Durrell. So yeah, you uh, don't have to you don't have to sell me on his product, <laughs> and I've I've done a lot of clicking around with his with his uh, suspension, so very familiar with it. Uh, it you know I'm selling the list. Yeah, he's selling man. it, but yeah, no, it works good, man. It yeah, really does. Guy. I mean, it speaks for itself. Yep, yep, he's a good guy. So. 
Yeah, I don't know if there's a lot a lot more to talk about. I did a I don't know if you heard it, Sammy. Me and Carter were talking about it, but I got to do a podcast, Twerk and Chatter, it was called. It's uh, Mick, he's from Australia, and I got to do yeah, a, the podcast. I haven't, even, I haven't even you didn't even send me the link. Thanks. Appreciate that. Bro, I shared it on my page. It's good, man. What? It's 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 pretty Are, How did I miss it? Uh, it was on there. It's pre- it's pretty good. It's uh it's a little PG thirteen. I, I kinda I dropped some doozies in there. I had a couple brewskis, so you went a little tank cool. slapping on them. Yeah, I did a little <laughs> side yeah. swapping on it, dude. It was good. I I had a lot of fun with it. It was cool. I don't really, I mean, I do I do this podcast. We we talk with other racers, but it's very rare that I get to talk about my uh, my own racing career that I've put a lot into over the last few years to get to where I'm at. You know, I've always been, you know, I've always been that marketing guy that also races. And I've mentioned this on the podcast, but I feel like I've transitioned transitioned myself to, you know, the racer now who also does other stuff. So it's nice to be able to be looked at and get some respect as a racer now. And I, it's been a long journey for me and I was able to talk about that on the show. So if you get a chance to work and chatter, it's called, and it's on Spotify and you can also watch, watch it on YouTube. We did video um like i said i had a few brews so i think like my one eye is like half closed because <laughs> yeah, shark was, in it. yeah yeah it was one of them things which, no, it was it was cool which i gotta say why you know you, you on that narragansett beer or however you pronounce that stuff if you say I, that word one more time sammy i know someone that listens to this show faithfully and they got they popped into my mind and they love that beer that's why i felt bad talking crap about it but I gotta say that beer's crap. Not as bad as the Voodoo Ranger stuff, but why? Who, who drinks bad. it? Uh, just a buddy of mine from California. Uh, yeah, I'm like, oh, and he listens to the show, so I'm like, uh, so I know when when the show comes out, I'm gonna be getting the calls, and the texts. <laughs> a lot of people probably... like Blue Moon, but fucking Blue Moon sucks. So, and dude, I bought a, we got a, I got, I don't know how I got it, but I got a 12 pack of Blue Moon in my fridge. And I took, I opened one up. There's nothing in the fridge. They make a coffee flavored Blue Moon beer. It is the worst thing I've ever had in my life. I took a sip of it and I, I spit it out. I was like, "What the hell is this?" Bring so one if you want, throw down. Bring one. I want to try. I have one left in my fridge. Yeah, and it's bring never it. getting never getting opened by me. So I will bring it to throw down, and you can <laughs> you can taste it. It's coffee the worst. flavored beer. It's awful. It's, I don't know why it's a thing. It sounds it's, it's such a bad idea. Yeah, yeah, it's not not a good idea. But uh, Christmas, man, Christmas. Yeah. I, I, I don't know if we'll have this out before Christmas or after, but we're recording before Christmas. And I don't know, Sammy, let's do a little Christmas theme kind of deal here before we wrap it up. What's your favorite Christmas movie? Ooh. Uh, Carter, you can chime in on this too, man. I, I want to hear, I, hear, boy. I want to hear you guys like what you guys I'm like. A- I'm traditional. I'm traditional. I'm going to go uh, A Christmas Story. Never seen it. <laughs> Took my what? answer. What? I've never I, I, got, I got a funny story Get about that Get out of here. Go ahead. So, okay, wait, Carter, I didn't mean to interrupt. What's your What's your favorite oh, Christmas I was going to say A Christmas Story. I can't believe he hasn't. You have one thing to do over this holiday season is watch A I Christmas Story. Yeah. All right, that, is that's, it okay? Okay, it's just it, a yeah, classic. It's a and Christmas I've seen, classic. I've never seen a Christmas story, and I've never seen a Christmas vacation. Oh my what? God, those are my two favorite, bro. That's one and 
two. That's literally one and two. I'm you have to watch. Like, we'll nope. Nope. Those two. I don't want to hear we'll any load. excuses. You have to watch oh, one of man. those two. I feel bad for missing your podcast now. Yeah. But I'm going to blame it on Christmas shopping week and all that. I've been crazy, insanely busy. So I'm going like to blame Elf? it on that. L for the oh, grid. Of course. Elf is good. Elf is good. Yeah. Grinch. A Christmas like story. Bandana. A Christmas bandana. story and, and National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. You have to. You have That's to watch. That's a Springfield Mile photo finish between those two. Dude, Seriously? The, I, I also like Bad That's Santa. I like Bad, Bad Santa. Bad Santa's awesome. Yeah. Bad Santa's That's good. <laughs> so funny. Thurman Merman. Uh, it's good. So, I like yeah. when he's sitting in the hot tub and the kid's asking him all the questions like he's at the kid's house and he's like, what are their names? And he's like, I don't know. I call them like like lazy and, and snoopy and he doesn't know the names of the house uh, and he just starts tweaking out on this little fat kid asking all these questions shall i fix you some sandwiches yeah can i fix you some sandwich i don't want them fucking sandwiches what is with you with sandwiches you sounded just like him Corey. dude i love he's yeah. such an underrated actor he's so funny and like bad news bears and it's bad really santa good. bad santa too yeah it's so funny so, I love you, you, you want to hear my christmas story house story i can't yeah. wait okay so you know there's there's this house in the movie, Corey, right? It's the Christmas story house. Back to my sprint car racing days, I was uh, driving back from wherever, and I was like, hey, you know, it's like 12 o'clock at night, midnight, and I'm like, you know what is in Cleveland, Ohio? The Christmas story house. I'm going to go check it out, right? Oh, by the way, I just sold something, and I had a large stack of cash in my pocket which would legitly qualify as a year's salary for some people. Like it was a large amount of $100 bills in my pocket, right? I sold a sprint car trailer. So I had this money. It's like midnight. I'm like pull off the highway. I'm like, and it's in a sketchy neighborhood nowadays. And so I pull up. And we get out, and we're like, ah, taking pictures in front of it. They got the lamp in the window, and, you know, all that. All right, checked it out. There's a bar across the street. And uh, this guy comes out, and he's like, uh, hey, that's a nice truck you have there. I'm like, oh, thanks. And I'm like, shit, I have, like, a lot of money in my pocket right now. <laughs> and he's like, uh, who's with you? And I'm like, what? What do you mean, who's with me? And so instantly, I don't know how, bing, light bulb goes off my head. I'm like, ah, just my buddy. I just picked him up from county. He's in the back talking to his uh, his girlfriend on the phone. <laughs> and I'm like, shoot, what do I do now? So I get in the truck, right? I'm like, we got to go. Amanda's with me. Molly's a baby. We get in the truck. I fire it up. And all of a sudden, it's like, squeak, 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 snap. My serpentine belt snaps on the truck. <laughs> right? I'm like, now what? Now I'm broke down in front of this house with like this large amount of cash in my pocket. It was it was the worst deal ever. Uh, it turned into another long story. Crazy. I don't even. I'll tell it another time because it gets even more unbelievable. Well, you're alive, man, and you didn't get robbed. So I guess it no, was a decent night. But I had to get a ride back to Pennsylvania, and there was no way back to Pennsylvania. You had to be back by a certain time, and there was no flights. There's no trains. There was no buses that would get me back to Pennsylvania in time. So the lady at the hotel said, oh, I can get you a ride back to Pennsylvania. And I said, okay, how? She goes, you got $350? I'm like, yeah, I got $350. She goes, I'll get you a ride. She goes, here, stand at this corner, and this is downtown Cleveland, stand at this corner and wait for this car to pull up, and he'll give you a ride when he shows up. So I'm standing on this corner in Cleveland. 
Yeah, I had no choice. I had to be back. So I'm I'm sitting in I'm sitting in Cleveland, Ohio, right? And this pimp, and I will say a pimp, he rolls up in his like champagne colored big old boat of a car. He's wearing a red velvet suit and everything, right? And he's like, You need a ride to Philly? And I said, Yeah. He's like, You got 350? I'm like, damn it. <laughs> yeah. So I'm like, I get in, I give him the money, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, I'm just waiting to get robbed, man. The guy ended up being super cool. He drove me all the way to Philly, and uh, we, we talked bullshitted the whole time. And then uh, when I went back to Cleveland to pick up my truck because it was getting worked on, met up with that guy again, and uh, we had lunch. His name's Will. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, and he was wearing the same red pimp suit when I went back to Cleveland just a few days later. <laughs> Will the pimp, Carter said. Yeah, Will the pimp, man. You got his number still? I do. Dude, we I need to call up, Will. Man. Let's call Will up. up. We should call Will Let's up. Let's get him on the show next Let's week. Let's do it. I, shoot, we should. Should I call him up right now? That would Will be even funnier. I don't know. Call him. Let me see it real What are you going to say? He's calling him right now. Wheels. Yeah, I just thought of that story, man. What up? M- remember that time? Remember? Oh, I don't have. He's remember? on my Facebook. Is he? <laughs> I don't have, yeah, I don't have, yeah, I don't have his phone number. Oh, now. damn it. Ask him. Tell, get him on the pod, bro. I want to talk to a pimp from Cleveland so bad. That's on my, my to do list, man. Hello? Hello? Damn it, he didn't answer. On this I'll week's Tank Slapping Podcast, number. we call a get pimp from Cleveland. Get it fired up, dude. I'm going to do it. I'll post a picture of Will because he, he's classic, man. He's classic. But, yeah, there's a lot more to that story. I try to really abbreviate it. But, yeah, so it was uh, it was pretty wild. Nice. <laughs> but I made it back. Yeah, good, good. Because I wouldn't have a co-host right now. <laughs> so no. That's good. Um, well, we want to shout out our sponsors. We appreciate you guys for supporting our show and making it happen every week. Bell Power Sports. Check out bellhelmets.com to view their full line of products, road racing, motocross, all kinds, full face, bicycle helmets. They got so much, so many cool things that they're doing at Bell Helmets, and we appreciate what they do for our show. The quality and safety is unmatched. If you start tank slapping, you want to be protected by Bell. Roof Systems of Dallas, Texas, commercial and industrial roofing company. Big shout out to Jerry Stinchfield for supporting our podcast and keeping the sport of flat track going. They have nearly 40 years of experience. Check them out. Online at commercialroofsystems.net and Climb Sports. Climb is driven to produce the most advanced motorcycle apparel on the planet. Check them out at climb.com. That's K L I M. They have snow riding gear, street riding apparel, jackets, gloves, off road riding, and a lot more. They're also on social media at climbmotorcycle.com. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Um, if I'm not, I'm sure somebody will correct me. Uh, some of the ice, ice riding boys will correct me because I see, I see them wearing their gear all the time, and I'm just becoming familiar with the brand. They're really, really, really cool brand. They do a lot of cool things for different forms of motorsports, and we appreciate them for supporting our podcast, so make sure you check them out. Sammy, that's all I got, man. Uh, everybody, check us out. Sub- subscribe, SoundCloud, Spotify, iTunes. Oh, one year in the books. We didn't oh, get yeah. to talk about that. So. No. One faithful year. I want to give a shout out to my sponsors. Yeah. That I, mean, I want to thank mainly just Chris Carter for, for keeping <laughs> this going every week. Jake Johnson for for getting us started and, and being the co-host for a while before Sammy Sabetra took over. And a big shout out to you, Sammy, for, for all you do with the podcast, all the listeners, all of our guests, our f***ing amazing guests we have every week. You guys are awesome. And, yeah, it's one year in the books, and 
Let's keep it rolling, Sammy. I'm, I'm excited. Yeah, I'm, I'm uh, you know, big thanks to, you know, you, Corey, uh, Carter, Bold City Entertainment, you know, oh, for stop. bringing me on. And, and Jake for, you know, allowing me to uh, fill his shoes on the show. It's been, uh, man, it's been the highlight of my year. And uh, it, I know it's going to be the highlight of my 2021 as well. I, I'm, uh, you know, I'm really excited to be part of this show and big thanks to everybody and everybody that listens. And, you know, I love seeing you guys at the races and all the messages I get on Facebook and Instagram. It's a it's a really cool thing to be a part of. And I feel like we're all part of it together. Yeah. And some of the messages we've gotten from different people that said we helped get them through this shitty year. That's yeah. amazing. That yeah. is just incredible. We've I never thought about that, you know, because we're struggling to get through it ourselves. It's been a tough year, and um, people that have reached out and said, you know, we've we've helped make their week a little bit better. That is just that is incredible, and way more than we anticipated with this show. So, you know, we just started to kind of bullshit and bench race and talk to old legends of the sport. I I'm a super fan. Sammy's more of a super fan. Um, we just like talking to these guys, and for us to get those kind of messages man it's very humbling and it's very cool and uh yeah we appreciate it and some feelings have been hurt some a lot of beers have been drank a lot of laughs have been had and a lot more to come so once again guys thanks for uh supporting us and until next show hope you guys had a merry christmas and uh we'll, we'll get back in touch for the new year peace yeah Yeah, you're cool. That was fun. That was a good that was one. good, man. Uh, I got to show you a picture of Will, man. I got to find it here. Will the pimp. This is Will, man. Check him out. Oh, my God. <laughs> he looks like Nipsey Hussle, kind of. Gold champagne colored Caprice pulls up with this dude. Bro, he looks like Nipsey Hussle.